America's Oldies But Goodies, Episode 7. Hi, I'm Jean-Claude Gameau of the Cascades, writer and singer on Rhythm of the Rain, and I had a ball doing Dick's show, America's Oldies But Goodies. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow's just a dream away Hey everyone, and welcome to another encounter with some groovy moments from the past. We're visiting the 60s with host Dick Scopitoni, whose pop group Harper's Bazaar had a hit record back then called Feelin' Groovy. He'll be talking with our guests about a decade that shaped a whole generation, not only with the most magnificent music ever made, but also the politics, protests, and pretty much everything that happened in the swing in 60s. So Dick, who's on today's show? Thanks, John. The 60s provided us with a ton of great music. Hundreds of top ten songs and a legion of new pop music artists. Most of us can remember bits and pieces of our own past. Whenever we hear a particular song from that era, there were a few of what I call rare birds, songs that are now known as standards the world over. One of those rare birds was Listen to the Rhythm of the Falling Rain by the Cascades. Today, we're going to meet the man that wrote and sang that hit record, John Claude Gamow. John Claude wrote it when he was in the Navy, and we're going to talk with him about his showbiz memories in just a moment. for retro and vintage merchandise, you'll find some fabulous buys at Dick's website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Autograph records, tiki mugs, golf memorabilia, even a Paul McCartney signed album cover. Check it out at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. By the way, you can listen to every episode of our show there too. That's americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Rhythm of the Rain has got to be one of the classic tunes from the 60s that's indelibly stamped on my brain. 
I was in high school when that song came out, and I can still see my junior homeroom with Sister Frances Ann trying to teach us Latin while I was daydreaming about whomever I was in love with at that moment. And today, I get to talk with the man who wrote and sang that song, John claude Gamow of the Cascades. Hi, John claude Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Dick. Glad to be with you. Yeah, it's good to have you on. You've got so much to talk about. And, of course, that song is stuck in my brain. Let's just kick this whole thing off by going back to an earlier time in your life, maybe high school if you want to, and uh, just bring us up to speed. How did you get here from all the way back there? Well, I uh, <laughs> the Navy brought me here. And I'm in California, and I uh, love it here, and I've been here uh, pretty much all of my adult life, except for the first 19 years. I joined the uh, U.S. Navy. They sent me to California, and I never looked back. Where was home initially? I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I was there from the time I was born until I was 19, and uh, I had to, aside from many reasons, I had to get away from my mother. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> no, no. My, I love my mother. She's uh, long, you know, passed away. But my mother had me when she was 39 years old. And at the time that I was born, I, I already had uh, three teenage sisters. So that was that was kind of fun. I mean, you know, I got spoiled to death to begin with. Sure. But I, it was very fortunate uh, that I was that this happened for me because. I got to to learn and know all about the music that they liked when I was just a little baby. And it was very interesting because they they grew up mainly in the uh, big band, swing, Glenn Miller, Artie Shaw, all that stuff. Sure. And so I was able to learn that, and I I fell in love with uh, groups like the Four Freshmen, and... uh, and I, because I've always been, a, I've always been a harmony freak. The Four Freshmen would be one of the classics, and I think, uh, and I'm sure you know this, it would be one of the groups that Brian Wilson was looking at when he was starting with the Beach Boys to put all the harmonies together. I understand that you know I, I've heard that uh, he was very much influenced by people like you know the Four Freshmen. I went to see the Four Freshmen. Oh five or six years ago. Really? <laughs> and, <clears throat> yes, and of course, it was a group that, you know, someone owns the name, and, and they put together this group. But I have to tell you, they were absolutely fabulous. Really? And they had all of the uh, four freshman harmonies down pat, and they were all about in their 30s. <laughs> oh, okay, so none, it's none of them were the real four freshmen, but they sounded identical. One of the guys, uh, one of the original members who was still alive, he's probably the guy who owns the name, he was there at the concert that I went to, and uh, he got up on stage with these young dudes and and sang uh, along with them. That part of it was not the best experience. I don't want to, you know, say bad things about anybody, but he was, uh, you know, he he really should not have got up there and and, and put his voice into the whole thing. Yeah, it just didn't work. No, he was just you know too far, too far over the hill mm-hmm. uh, with his own, uh, his own, his, his voice wasn't very sharp anymore, you know, yeah. or flat, or it was just not that great. But it was a great show, and 
those songs. I mean, I when I was a kid, I used to sing along with them all the time. I never knew what part I was singing particularly, but I had a good time. <laughs> you know, I have them on CD. I put them on in the car, and I sing along with them. And a shift parts in the middle of the song. I'll be doing one part and then shift up maybe a notch or two to somebody else's part. Oh, yeah, sure. But uh, those are fun tunes, and I've got an old Beach Boys album. That's, I think, the only live album they did, I'm guessing, sometime and maybe before 1965. I think it was in Stockton where it was cut. Anyway, they do uh, Graduation Day, and they do a, a tribute to the four freshmen when they do Graduation Day, and they did it spot on. It sounded absolutely perfect. So anyway, all right. So now you're in San Diego and you're joining the Navy. Yes. Well, I was, you know, had already joined. I just, I went there for boot camp, you know, for basic training. And it was quite, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure anybody you talk to about basic training will tell you it's, it's not a lot of fun, but <laughs> it, you know, it has, it has its moments, you know. But I enjoyed uh, being in San Diego, and I enjoyed the weather there, and uh, and I stayed in San Diego even after I got out of the Navy. Of course, that that we were, you know, uh, the Cascades were pretty much home based in uh, San Diego. That's where the, the well, there were two guys in the group that actually were from there, who were not from the Navy, and then there was the Navy guys who uh, had come from various other places. Did you write? Not record, but write "Rhythm of the Rain" while you were in the Navy. I did. I was okay. uh, I was on a ship up in the North uh, Pacific, up by the Aleutian Islands. It was uh, a dark and stormy night, as they say, mm-hmm. and I was standing watch up on the bridge of the ship, and the uh, rain was coming down, and uh, I was pretty much by myself, and I just remember coming up with the title because yeah, I thought the title had a nice kind of flow and a ring to it that I like, I liked. And then I began to try to put down some lyrics. And uh, I, it wasn't, you know, I, I hear a lot of writers say, oh, I wrote that in five minutes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. well, good for you. Mm-hmm. But it, it, writing was never something that came, I mean, I, I think I've written a lot of good songs, but it never came easy to me because I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I don't settle for the first thing I come up with and yeah. uh, and so I I wrote it over a period of months and then until I had a chance to um, to run run what I had uh, put in my head I had run that all across with somebody to see how they perceived what I was trying to get across to them and I've, I've been very lucky I've always had a natural ear for harmony and uh, and I've always been a harmony freak I, I love uh, and, and of course, harmony is nothing more than it's all about chord structure. And if you have that that gift in your head, you can you know get a lot accomplished. Sure. Because I've never had a music lesson in my life. You know, me neither. And I think that surprises a lot of people. But my recollection of a lot of the groups from the '60s, uh, most of them didn't even know how to read music. I don't read music, and and no, I don't read music. 
Yeah, so it 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 was a bit of a handicap, and you know where it was, and this is a name I think you'll recognize because I read in your notes about uh, Perry Bodkin Jr., who was right. the arranger for m- much of what Harper's did. Well, he did the arrangement on Rhythm of the Rain. Yes, he did. When we go into the studio uh waiting for the tracks to be done the musical tracks and and Perry is conducting the orchestra um the only way that we might be able to say well can you change this or that is by saying rather than go to letter b uh which begins with a uh, f sharp or something uh, we can all we can say is uh after the word so and so that's where i want you to change it so there there's a bit of a communication problem with with people that read music but nonetheless i i think that was pretty common for the 60s it was Perry is a friend of mine on facebook he's in his early 80s now and i keep threatening to call him and maybe cuz he lives here in los angeles where i'm at and I should get together with him and just to, to you know, talk over old times. But um, I think, you know, we, we gave Perry a fairly good demo on Rhythm of the Rain. And, and uh, yeah, I'm sure he lifted um, a few of the things that he was hearing. I think that uh, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, the Celeste part. Ding, 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 yeah. Signature move, you know, yeah. in that song. Great bit. Yes, and I think I think he pulled it out of our demo because I think it was kind of in there in a subliminal way and he pulled that out of our demo and and uh, and I mean I don't know how he would feel about me saying that because uh, I I mean nothing derogatory by you know by that because I I know that you know a lot of the other stuff that he did in there he's uh, he's well he, he uh, did the arrangements on our entire first album oh okay and not just on rhythm of the rain and, of course, uh, we had the remarkable wrecking crew on our record. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, Can you talk about that just for a minute? Because some of our sure. listeners, you know, the wrecking crew has become kind of a hip thing over the last, let's call it, three or four years to where I, the public is starting to know who they are. But uh, talk a little bit about your experience. I know we use the wrecking crew on, on all of the Harper's recording, but talk just talk about those guys a little bit. Well, there was uh, Hal Blaine on drums, and there was Carol Kay on bass, and there was, um, I think, uh, Julius Wechter mm-hmm. on vibes and uh, that sort of thing. I think they used a, a string contractor named uh, Sid Sharp on strings. And uh, Glenn Campbell, of yes. all people, was yes. on uh, rhythm guitar. Sure. And, uh, and he... This was before he ever had a TV show, before he ever had a hit record. He was one of the most sought-after studio musicians in Hollywood. Yeah. But I, you know, I didn't, as far as having any kind of personal relationship with any of these guys, I did not. I was, I pretty pretty much, you know, sat in the back row and kept my mouth shut, you know, because I was, and my mouth was open most of the time because I was absolutely amazed (laughs) at what was going on. Yeah, I know it. Pretty spectacular. And... They did everybody from Sinatra right on down the line to the association, and you name it, they did them all. I can remember Tommy Tedesco was one of the guitar players along with Glenn, and his son, Danny, uh, has put out the uh, the movie about the Wrecking Crew. Right. I think it came out, what, two years ago maybe? About that. Yeah. yeah. I have never seen it, and I, 
I guess I could find it on Netflix if I, you know, looked. I th- I think so, and I, I'm going to look at it again. I've watched it a couple of times. There's no video because there was no video cameras in the 60s. There's a ton of still photographs of Phil Spector and, and uh, you know, virtually everyone that was happening back in that day. I have an interesting little thing that I'd like to uh, in- interject here. Yeah. Phil, Phil Spector was, uh, you know, he recorded, and we, we recorded at at Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, which was, uh, they, that was where Phil Spector had his uh, famous wall of sound. Oh, yeah. And where he recorded the Righteous Brothers and uh, all the other groups that he produced. And he just happened to be in the studio when we were listening to the playback on Rhythm of the Rain. Really? Yes. And uh, and he was just as weird then as he is now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, do you feel a song coming on? I do. Let's take a break. Just enough time for a quick cappuccino, and we'll return shortly. She acts sort of teenage, just in between age, looks about four foot three. Although she's just small fry, just about so high, Gidget is the one for me. A regular tomboy, but dressed for a prom. Boy, how cute can one girl be? Although she's not king size, her finger is ring size. Gidget is the one for me. If she says she loves you, you can bet your boots she loves you. If we go to the second question, what do you consider to be among your most notable successes from that whole time frame? Would it be Rhythm of the Rain, or is there something else that you think of as a notable success for you? Oh uh, yeah, well it had to be with Rhythm of yeah. the Rain because when right. it when when Rhythm of the Rain uh, Rhythm of the Rain hit the charts at number eighty with a bullet and and then jumped like twenty points at a time all the way to number three Jeez. I believe it was and and the minute it the minute began to fall back on the uh, Billboard charts it started showing up in uh, Cashbox no it no. started showing up all over the world you know really? on, the, on the on the international charts you know it was. Number one in France, number one in Spain, Gee. number one in the Philippines, oh, number one. In, I mean, it was number one just, I mean, almost every country in the world. I still have some of the old charts in my uh, my uh, hopeless chest. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That would be neat to see. Have you ever thought about uh, putting any of those on Facebook? I know I haven't, but I'm, that's a good idea. I could photograph them and... And just send the photographs to Facebook, yeah. Yeah, you know, the what's interesting about that time frame, and you mentioned uh, number 80 with a bullet, uh, after we called it a day, and I'm going to say this would have been for us somewhere around 1973 maybe, something like that, my singing partner, Ted Templeman, stayed in L.A. Uh, I came back home to Santa Cruz. And, of course, we communicated quite often. But I was, for all intents and purposes, out of the business. I think one of the things I learned was that uh, if you're not doing it 24-7, you're not in the business. (laughs) You you can't do it part-time. It's just one of those things you can't do. After you've had a hit record 
and especially if you didn't follow up with another major hit yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it be, you know, you go back to where you were before. You're back playing clubs again and, and that kind of stuff. We faced that and decided that we did not want to go back down the ladder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we chose to say, hey, let's quit while we're ahead, and it was fun and what have you. So, uh, But I can remember talking to him as he was getting more and more involved at Warner's uh, in production, and I, I can't remember if he had, at that point, he had taken on the Doobie Brothers yet, but maybe he had. But I remember him saying to me at one time, he said, uh, you know, you can remember when we used to talk about, uh, you know, number uh, 23 with a bullet, and no one else outside of the industry had any clue what that meant. He said, nowadays, every kid in the world knows what that means. <laughs> and that was one, of, I think maybe in the 70s, one of the distinctive changes about the business. It was no longer our business in the sense that we were the only ones that knew about it. You know, everybody knew about it. So, And nowadays, it doesn't, I can't even relate at all. But uh, Yeah. So nowadays it's crazy. Yeah, record companies uh, almost have almost no power unless they have a major, you know, like a Lady Gaga or, sure. uh, or Adele. Yeah. something, you know. I mean, but other than that, I mean, a lot of these people are making it and running their own re- record companies, and they're you know, uh, and they're being managed by lawyers. <laughs> exactly right, and I know on rare occasion people ask me. Uh, what would you do if you were going to get into the business today? And my my uh, comment is always the same. I really wouldn't know where to start. In our day, there was some kind of a roadmap, a rough roadmap that you could follow. You audition here, you audition there, and you move up the ladder. Now I, I wouldn't have a clue. And I, I don't have any interest in it anyway now, but uh, I wouldn't have a clue as to how to advise anyone. Where would you start? So. Yeah, well, it's it's you almost uh, nowadays. I think you have someone has to come along who's interested in promoting you in some yeah. way, and then maybe you could uh, you know launch a, a second career of the sure. business. Although I don't know why anybody. Of course, I'm still working, and and uh, although I'm I'm at the I'm you know I'll be seventy nine in August. Okay, and I'm not too crazy about. Uh, I don't like these these uh, air air trips to the east coast oh man and, yeah uh, i mean it's, those it's are a, rough it's night it's a nightmare you go to lax and you're flying coach and you have to stand in these long now i usually check in before i even get to the airport you know yeah i i go online and i check in but even with, and then then i can go right directly to the security sure and do that whole awful ordeal and and I usually have to do it like at six o'clock in the morning because you know how it is because yeah. of the time change. It's it's a nightmare, and I'm I'm getting a little fed up with it. And uh, and they don't, you know, um, the the people that are in the business today that are booking talent. Um, I don't think they have, you know. I mean, some of them are genuine. You know, there's a there's a guy in New Jersey. Um, can't think of his name now. But uh, he is someone who genuinely loves the music of that era, and and and, and you can tell when he's he has a big show at the Hopog High School on Long Island every year. His, his name is Rob Albanese. He and his wife Laura—that's what L A R stands for, Laura and Rob. It, it, yeah, uh, if you spoke to uh, Jim Foster, he would know them because he's been to the shows that they put on back there. 
I've I've worked for him about three times, maybe four times. But I, the, you know, I have to say that uh, you know, uh, first of all, let me let me say that I was not like you. Well, I left the Cascades, even though the group was still going. I left them as their lead singer in 1967. Oh, and after I left them. I told my manager, I said, I want to uh, try to launch a solo career. So the first thing that happened was I uh, was signed to ABC Dunhill, and they were very hot at the time. Oh, yeah, with, Mamas uh, and Papas, I think, for a yeah, while. Mamas yeah, Mamas and Papas, okay. the grassroots. And I, uh, I recorded a song written by P.F. Sloan and Steve Barry, and Steve Barry produced the record, and... Uh, and it uh, came out quietly and died a quiet death. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. And it was a good record. And, and um, I, uh, you know, it's it's on Facebook if you ever want to, you know, I mean not on Facebook, on YouTube. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm amazed at the stuff that I did that has wound up on YouTube that I almost don't even remember. You Isn't know? that something? It's yeah. crazy. A yeah. lot of TV-related stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I went, I went uh, from ABC Dunhill to Uni Records, which at the time was was uh, at the, Russ Regan was at the helm. Okay, yes. He, he mm-hmm. had just he had just signed a deal with Elton John and Carly Simon, and uh, you know, the early seventies was when they launched their careers. Uh, and I, um, Cook and Greenaway were a big songwriting team uh, in the early seventies, and. Russ Regan had a song that he wanted me to do, and I did it under a uh, uh, a pseudonym. I called myself uh, Johnny Paris and Company. Or, no, that's right. I'm sorry. ABC Dunhill. ABC Dunhill was the Johnny Paris and Company. Okay. And then the uni uh, single was um, was called "Get Around Downtown Girl," and it was. Um, written by Cook and Greenaway, who were very big at that time, and uh, and that one, you know, didn't do anything either. And and I was I was using, you know, some of the uh, Cascades or, or you know, some of the guys that were in the group. The drummers sang background for me for, on a lot of my singles. And, uh, but I did, I did a lot of, um, I did, I think, four or five singles, and then I, I signed a deal with London Records. I did a few things with them. And uh, some of the things were things I wrote. Some of the things were found for me by who knows who, sure. who knows who. Yeah, you know? right. And uh, in the early, late '60s, early '70s, I formed another group called Kentucky Express, and that was. Um, uh, have you ever heard of a guy named Kent Morell? That's not ringing a bell. Well, Kent was a huge star in the Northwest. He he was with a group called the Fabulous Whalers. And the Whalers had had a, an earlier hit in the 50s called Tall, Cool One. Oh, yeah, that I remember, sure. Yeah, and Kent uh, Kent was a brilliant, he had a brilliant, he had a great voice. He played keyboard like crazy. And anyway, I had him, and then I had another, said this other guy who had actually taken my place as lead singer in the Cascades. Huh. And uh, we, got, we got him involved in Kentucky Express, and his name was Gabe Lapano. And Gabe was uh, had previously been with a group called Sandy and the Accents, and they had had a little bit of uh, uh, success on uh, Liberty Records, and uh, so there was uh, Kent and Gabe and I, and we we, four, we I, I used to call it 
we're the uh, poor man's Crosby, Stills, and Nash. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because I I have always, you know, uh, like all the Cascade stuff, I've always arranged it, you know, the vocal harmony and all that. I'm, I'm I'm a super harmony freak. That stuff, by the way, doesn't exist at all nowadays, so... Not too much, anyway. Well, there's a lot of it in country music. Yes, right. And I, I wonder just how much of it is really... I mean, it certainly isn't done in country music today like it was done in the 60s yeah. or 70s for that. I mean, because we, we didn't have pitch correctors and <laughs> and all the stuff that they have nowadays, you know. But anyway, we did we did two albums for a subsidiary of Liberty called Cream Records, which was run by... Um, if you remember Al Bennett, who was... I remember of, Al Bennett. He was the head of Liberty at the time, and uh, he had a grown son, and his son um, was running Cream Records. We did two albums for Cream Records, and uh, they were poorly promoted. They were, you know, I mean, you know how it is. You know, back in those days, you uh, in many cases, they were paying people off to get the sure, record. Sure, right, of course. And, of course... You know, even if they were paying people, if the song was not in the groove, it wasn't going to happen. Whether they, who, no matter who they were, they paid. Yeah, yeah. And um, but anyway, I, I I did the Kentucky Express thing, and right around that time is when I met my partner, my partner Bob, and uh, he had just broken up with somebody, and had had a pet business. He was a uh, he was in. Um, West Hollywood, on the border of West Hollywood and, and Beverly Hills. And he had a, a, a pet shop, a boarding kennel, a food delivery route, you know, all to do with animals. He, could, he was setting up fish tanks for people. And he had all the big movie stars, all the big directors, and all the rock groups would come in. Uh, Michael Jackson, um, you know, uh, the Supremes gal, uh, Diana Ross would come in. Uh, Zsa Gabor, uh, Stanley Kramer, yeah, all the, yeah. he had everybody in there, and he was delivering, uh, the guys from the association came in all the time, and so he knew all these people, you know, he knew a lot of people that I knew, you know, and, but this partner that he had was, you know, they were business partners as well as, you know, life partners, and uh, it became um, clear to Bob that uh, this guy was robbing, you know, taking money out of the bill, and, and Bob is one of these, you know, laid-back, mellow, you know, I mean, when you meet, if you, if you meet somebody like him, you know that they're a nice guy, and they're, you know, honest. And, it's just automatic. Yeah, you, you can just tell something about them, you know. Maybe that's why I've been with him for 46 years. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I came out on Facebook quite well when I got married, and uh, and I, you know, and everybody has been, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had anybody write to me and with any kind of disapproval. Yeah. It's always been very, uh, yeah. you know, positive. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad that I did that. Yeah, and, yeah, that's and good. And, of course, I've been out to my family, you know, since I was about 40, and there's never been any problem with the family. Can I ask you about uh, the reverse of success? What's your best failure story, or do you have one? Oh, God, are you kidding? I mean, everybody has failure stories. I mean, there's a lot more of those than there is success stories. Failure stories. Well, you know, ABC Dunhill, you know, that that fizzled Mm -hmm. and fell apart. In fact, my whole solo career didn't really amount to a hill of beans. And uh, and and neither did the uh, Kentucky Express thing. So that that disappointed me because I felt that some of the stuff that I did after I left the Cascades was better than some of the stuff I did in the Cascades. Yeah. Sure. Back in 63, 
Lenny Green and I, who was, I mentioned him before, the original guitarist for the Thunder Notes, Lenny Green and I went in the studio uh, and produced. The, we, we wrote a song, and uh, the song was called The Winds Kept Laughing. You can find it on uh, YouTube as well. Okay. It was uh, done by a gal named Betty Turner. Betty was just incredible. We took her in the studio, and we did this record, and uh, and it, it was released on the... A private label that was uh, at, with our manager at the time and at the helm, and he didn't know what he was doing, you know, and he he didn't promote the thing very good, and uh, he, he even after he um, after the winds kept laughing, he signed her to um, Liberty Records, and she did two or three more songs with Liberty Records. Okay, but nothing that ever you know became anything. But but the funny thing is about. 30 years ago, I, I got a call from Lenny Green. Lenny Green and I are still very good friends, and, you know, I mean, he's, I probably have known Lenny longer than anybody uh, that I've, you know, been associated with on the, uh, in the music business. And Lenny and I have written uh, several songs together. Some of the things we did with the Cascades, Lenny and I wrote. But anyway, about 30 years ago, Lenny called me up, and he says, he says, you won't believe this. He said... I was online, and he says, just for the hell of it, he says, I put in the title of the song that Betty Turner did that we wrote, and he said, I found out that The Winds Kept Laughing was a huge northern soul hit in England and Belgium and uh, other parts of Europe. Really? Yeah. And who's writing credit? Uh, uh, Lenny and I wrote the song. Did you know you were getting money for that, or you didn't get money for that? We never got money from it. That was the bad part. So that if you ask me about the failure that yeah, I regret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wish I would have known. I and to this day, I have contacted different people trying to you know wondering. I mean, how could something that was a big? I mean, this was a like a cult favorite in all the, uh, the genre of music, and it was played all the time in clubs. Did you look into whether ASCAP tracked it or BMI tracked it, or somebody somebody was paying for it? It's registered with BMI, and uh, I I've always been a BMI writer, and my friend Lenny is as well. And uh, but I have um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. BMI used to be a place that you could call up. You know, and and uh, and there'd be you know I I knew a gal there that I used to go in and see all the time. You know, and talk to her about things. You don't dare do that nowadays. You, they won't even let you through the door. You know, even if you've been, I mean, I've been with a BMI writer since yeah. 1962, but they, they don't want to talk to me unless I have an appointment, first of all. And, uh, but, you know, like I said, the Winds Kept Laughing is registered with BMI, but we have never seen a penny. That's, a, that's, a, that's just an oddity because, um, so, you know, BMI's got to pay somebody, some publisher somewhere, I would think, but... You know, there is, um, and you'll know the name, it's not coming to me at the moment, but I found out about it maybe five or six years ago because they're now paying uh, royalties for satellite. Oh, you're talking about uh, Sound Exchange? Sound Exchange, yes. I've been a member of Sound Exchange since the beginning of their inception. And uh, in fact, I just got a nice, well, I don't know how nice it is, about $500 from them. Oh, yeah, that that is nice. I get uh, checks for $8.22. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
like I said, you know, I, I'm I am blessed with Rhythm of the Rain because it just you know they people just don't forget it, yeah. and, and I think it helps that it's a rain song because they you know if they're thinking of you know uh, wanting to play something because it's raining outside, that's yeah. the first one they about. There it is. Yeah, that one and uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. You know, one thing that happened to me though that was very interesting when we when we left Valiant Records, Barry Dvorak. He would not give us a release, and RCA Victor said, we can't sign you unless you have a release from Valiant. And he said, he says, I'll give you a, re- a, a release, he says, but I want the, um, the mechanical rights to Rhythm of the Rain. Oh, jeez. So uh, my manager, I mean, I was not happy about this, naturally, and the manager came over, and uh, his name was Andy Martino. He's deceased, and... Uh, he made me money and he lost me money, you know, but I guess it's probably the same thing with most managers. But uh, he came over to me and he said, you know, he says, John, he says, you got to let this these mechanicals go for the sake of the group so we can move on, you know. And so I did. And Barry Dvorzon got that, uh, the mechanicals, and he, he had them until 1995. Hmm. In 1995, I was um, a Dick St. John from Dick and Dee Dee. We were talking, and uh, he, I told him about my situation, and he says, well, he says, you need to call Artist Rights Enforcement in, in New York City. And he, what he does, he's not an attorney, but he uses attorneys to do what he does. He helps writers that have had situations like mine where they've taken away rights. Yeah, interesting. But the the downside to this, the negative side to that is, he takes 50%. He went to court, uh, as, as it turned out, because uh, Dvorzon and his partner, Billy Sherman, were terrible business people. They had no, no paper records showing any, anything about, you know, this, uh, that, you know, Barry, you know, had the right to keep these rights. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, was, it didn't take long. It took maybe a, a week and a half or what, uh, whatever with uh, using a, a San Francisco attorney. He went and got the rights back for me, and in the process, uh, they renewed the copyright with Warner Chapel Music, and they paid us, uh, I think it was pretty close to a million dollars. That's amazing. But then again, when you talk about a million dollars, you know, he he got half. Yeah. And and then the uh, between, with the taxes, you know, for the federal government, so I wound up with, you know... Uh, 200,000 something, you know. Yeah, I would never, uh, I don't know, you know, when somebody waves a million dollars in your face, you, you, you think, oh my God, I'm lucky. Sure, yeah. But, you know, a million dollars is, is not that much money. It wasn't even that much money in 1995. And there's a lot of fingers in the pie anyway. Yeah, that's one of the things we were talking about with uh, Jim Foster was about so many of the groups back then I mean, I can remember when we were playing music. We were playing music because we liked playing music. We didn't want to be a music attorney. We wanted to be a musician. So uh, a lot of people got burned, and uh, the business itself can be, I mean, I don't want to put it down too much, but it is a little on the slimy side. Oh, it is definitely way on the slimy side. It's always been that way. Yeah, I, 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 you don't, I mean, you know, I've, I've been uh, had, you know, many times. and uh, But anyway... Uh, this guy, um, uh, keep one, uh, you know, at my age, I keep forgetting things like that. You know, all of a sudden, they wrote, they, yeah. they're they there on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. I try to come up with them, and they're gone. Yeah, yeah. 
Chuck Rubin, his name is. <laughs> Chuck Rubin. And anyway, Chuck Rubin, so he got uh, 50% of Rhythm of the Rain. He still gets 50% of my mechanicals for, for getting the rights back for me. You yeah. Know? yeah. However, that's, that hopefully will all change. In 2019, Rhythm of the Rain comes up for renewal of copyright again. Okay. And when that happens, I will even get back to publishing. That's spectacular. And the thing is, uh, his, you know, uh, Chuck Rubin's deal with um, Warner Chapel Music, you know, he's supposed to get 50%. However, if Warner Chapel Music doesn't have the publishing anymore, I would think that his part will disappear and he'll be no longer in the picture. Let's take a brief moment to listen to a familiar tune. We'll be right back. Every night I sit here by my window, window. staring at Lonely Avenue. Avenue, watching lovers holding hands and laughing, laughing. and thinking about the things we used to do, up like a walk in the park, things. like a kiss in the dark. Like a sailboat ride What about the night we cried Things like a lover's vow Things that we don't do now Thinking about the things we used to do Memories are all I have to cling to Let me ask you, I don't know if you want to talk about your health or not, but uh, we no longer look like Jack LaLanne. How is your health nowadays? Speaking of Jack Lane, he was a customer of my of my partner. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> he used yeah. to go to Jack Lane's house and uh, and, and service his aquarium. Oh, for God's sakes! <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I hope Bob knew everybody because of this connection with the, with the pet shop. And and uh, anyway, my health. Okay, I have been type two diabetes for about fifteen years. Okay, same here, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's uh, you know it's one of the, it's a, not a. a, a you know, I don't have any problems with it, and uh, and I now, uh, about a year ago, I started doing um, injections in my stomach once a week, which is uh, with a, a, <clears throat> a prescription drug called Bidurian. And I, I, I just started doing this because the pills I was taking, they weren't doing the job of keeping my A1C where it's supposed to be. My last A1C was seven. That's not bad, actually. No, I know. That's what everybody tells me. Because uh, I, I, I hear people talk about it, and they're saying, oh, my God, I only wish I could be seven. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, you can't, as far as type 2 diabetes is concerned, everybody's situation is different. And some people take care of themselves, and some people just uh, don't. Because mm-hmm. they don't want to be deprived. And uh, I, I got over that quickly. I, I was, uh, you know... There's too many uh, alternative things that you can have that are almost like the real thing, you know, such as ice cream, for instance. I love ice cream. And I can now get no sugar added, uh, low-fat ice cream. And, and, and I think it's, you know, I, get, I like butter pecan. I get butter pecan ice cream like this. It has uh, like about, about half the calories and half the carbs mm-hmm. of regular, you know, like uh, Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> And uh, so I don't, I've never, you know, and, and I've always eaten healthy regardless of the diabetes. I mean, I've been eating chicken and fish and vegetables, you know, since 
God, since I was 30. And so I, I've never been, you know, uh, someone to... I mean, I like a steak now and then, too. I think most anybody does. But I don't do that. I, you know, maybe once a month I'll have some red meat. And, and sometimes need it, not even that. And other than that, I'm doing good. I, I just finished losing 35 pounds. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I was up to about uh, 235, I guess, at one point. And in fact, if you see old pictures of me on YouTube, uh, I was, you know, that was... Five years ago, I was about 235 pounds, and I, I now weigh about a 198. Let me shift a couple of things here, because I don't want to keep you on forever. Have your musical taste changed since the 60s, and what kind of music do you listen to now? When I listen to music, music which is rarely, my, my partner thinks I'm crazy, because how, how can you be, be in the business and be a singer and you don't listen to music? You know? And I don't usually, I'll tell you, I have... On my favorite places on my uh, computer, I have things that I've, uh, you know, listed there that I particularly like, and I listen to them quite often, you know. Yeah. And, and, and my my favorite era of music, to be totally honest, is the early 70s, uh, the beginning. I, I loved Elton John. I loved Carly Simon. But even more than that, I loved the, uh, the, the, um, the Eagles. Oh, geez. They, aren't they the best? They're, they're incredible. And I mean, and I, I have always been a fan of Close Harmony, as I mentioned earlier. And I love the Eagles. I love Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. And uh, I, I loved Poco and, uh, and all these groups that sang the Close Harmony stuff. And, uh, and one of my friends is uh, John Ford Coley. And I love, you know, the stuff he did with England Dan, you know. Yeah, John is in Israel right now, John Ford. I don't know what he's involved in. I, I he I don't I don't even think he's Jewish, but he somehow is involved with Judaism, and he went over there to do a concert at the Wailing Wall. I'll be darned. Yeah, and John is very talented. John plays keyboards. He plays guitar. He uh, he he's very self-contained as an artist. He can just set up his stuff on a stage, and he doesn't even really need a band. You know, he can do all his stuff. Uh, acapella if need be, or not acapella but uh just with himself you know i've often thought of people like john denver denver picks up a guitar and he starts singing no problem right so people ask me from time to time well sing feeling groovy i i actually can't do it uh and the reason i can't i think stems from we had a very rigorous um schedule uh where we would take a month out of every year and do a complete new show. So it would be 10 in the morning to 10 at night, seven days a week for 30 days. And because of that regimen, which I learned, you know, 50 years ago or whatever, I can't just pick up a guitar and sit down and start singing. It's the craziest damn thing, but uh, I've always missed that because I, I can't do it. Well, my, my instrument of choice for, uh, for composing is a keyboard. Oh, yeah. And I've always uh, used them, you know, for doing my writing and... Uh, However, if someone said, sit down at the piano and play Rhythm of the Rain, I, well, first of all, I've never been able to play an instrument and sing at the same time. Okay. <laughs> now, I, I could do this if I were singing a background part. Right. But if I had to sing words and play the keyboard at the same time, and, and I've never been a great musician anyway. I mean, I'm a singer-songwriter, and I, 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 I know chord structure well. Mm -hmm. I was born with a natural ear for harmony, and that's what chord structure really is. And then, of course, I, I, 
absorbed a lot of stuff from the other guys in the group, you know, just from having been with them for all those years. And, of course, back in the 60s, I would say like 80% of the stuff that that we would play in a concert or on stage was stuff that uh, had three chords in it. <laughs> and uh, so if I was playing like a rhythm part on the on the keyboard or uh, my my original instrument was vibes. Oh, jeez. Okay. <clears throat> but uh, in fact there's a picture of me on my Facebook profile page of me with the original cascade standing behind my vibes. But then I went on to uh, electric piano, and uh, and then of course, you know how keyboards have progressed from what you know what they were. So anyway, I I wanted to say quickly that uh, after Kentucky Express, uh, my partner and I um, we we uh, put together our own woodcraft business in my home, and we did that for about five years. In 1980, I was approached by a gal from Casablanca Records. And she wanted to, she said, well, like what happened was I, I did a demo of one of Lenny Green's songs, and she happened to hear it. And she told Lenny, she says, I don't like your song at all. She says, but who's that guy singing? jeez, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, her name, her name was Susie Frank, and she worked at Casablanca. That's when the village people and Donna Suffer were so hot. Yeah. So she put five grand in my uh, account and said, go in the studio and do me some demos. And I said, you know, I says, I'm really not a producer, you know. I, and I, and I, I think I, you know, I was really shortchanging myself because I did it and it came out good. Yeah. But uh, she took the stuff around and got no, uh, no interest in it. And nothing happened again until 1995. Uh, K-Earth Radio in L.A. came to me and said, would you like to do a, re- a reunion concert with the Cascades? And so I did that concert and... Uh, the, the the fellow who was backing most of the groups on this show for K-Earth, a guy named Chuck Cruz, uh, added a harmony part for us, and he had always been a big Cascade fan. He says the Cascades were the reason he'd learned to play the guitar. But anyway, uh, Chuck was a musical director for a lot of, of big acts and all that, and um, in 1995, I, I sort of got excited about music again, and I started doing... I spent about eight years just writing a whole bunch of stuff, and I had a, a, a little recording machine in my back room and uh, and uh, some nice keyboards, and, and that, that actually gave me chord structures. All I do is, is hit the keys, and it would give me an arrangement, you know. And I did a lot of demos like that, and I, I learned to be very good at it. And uh, so I did that, and then... Um, I decided I wanted to go into the studio. I knew that my friend Chuck Cruz had a studio in his garage in, in Silmar, California. Okay. So I told him I wanted to do some recording, and he said, well, he said, I have a studio, and he says, come on over. He says, well, because I wanted to do a slow version of Rhythm of the Rain. And, you know, the, the original version was kind of an upbeat, cha-cha, kind of, you know, happy-sounding. Sure. And yeah. if you listen to the lyrics to Rhythm of the Rain, it's a sad song. Yeah. And I always thought it would it would be really pretty as a slow ballad, you know. So I went and I worked with Chuck, and in the midst of all this recording, uh, Chuck was called over to the Philippines. So he was riding around with this uh, promoter in the, in, in the promoter's van, and all of a sudden, uh, Rhythm of the Rain came on, or something that had been done by the Cascades. And the promoter said to Chuck, he said, Oh, he says, I'd love to get these guys over here in the Philippines. He says, they, they're as big as the Beatles over here. Jeez. 
but he said, of course, I know that they were all killed in a plane crash in the late oh. 60s. Oh, oh, and so Chuck looked at him, you know, with a puzzled look on his face, and he says, "He says, let me tell you something." He says, "I just did a custom recording with the lead singer of the Cascade a couple weeks ago." He says, "We drank wine together, and he's still here. He wasn't killed in a plane crash." And this guy absolutely freaked out. That's amazing. But I've been going to the Philippines now. This will be my eleventh year. I'll be going in August. I'll be doing probably a series of concerts all through the Philippines. One in Manila, and then probably four or five other ones in some of the outlying provinces. And, you know, it helps keep me young. What's been your most challenging experience, regardless of whether you achieved it or not? (laughs) Most challenging? Probably going back to the Philippines, because I had not worked and performed in in like uh, about 12 or 13 years. Oh, jeez. And then, you know, they said... They wanted me to come over, and, and the first first of all, he said to me, he said, I don't, you know, I told him, I says, well, you know, I, my God, I'll have to put an act together, I'll have to put a group together, blah, blah, blah. He says, no, he says, you don't. He says, you're the guy with the voice, and he says, you wrote Rhythm of the Rain. He says, I can bring you over there just on that alone. And he, they could bring in the musicians and singers as well? Exactly, and, and, and I, was, I was never, you know... A, totally confident guy. I always thought that I'd been very lucky, <laughs> is what I thought, because I didn't have the greatest voice in the world. You know, I mean, I was no Barry Manilow or, you know, whatever. And I have a limited range, and the, most of the stuff on the Cascade album is, you know, anybody can sing it that has, you know, a halfway decent voice. And that. But I said to him, I says, I got to come over with a group. And, and the main reason I told him that is because I was scared to go over there alone and chance it yeah and chance it yeah so i put together uh, a couple guys that had been members of the cascades neither one of them were original and uh, i took them with me and uh, the first gig we played in manila there were sixteen thousand people there amazing this was at the araneta coliseum in manila and uh, we came back eight months later and it was another 16,000 people came to see us. That is that is just, that's got to just be a mind blower. It was. It was hard to, to deal with because I, having not had, you know, performed in a long time, I was, and, you know, I thought I was going to have problems with stage fright, so I went to the doctor and I got some medication for stage fright. Calm you down, yeah. Well, it's really funny because I got over there and I was so damn busy I forgot about the uh, pills, and I never took any, and I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, isn't life strange that way? All the preparation in the world. So, you know, life is kind of crazy that way. Let me ask you just a couple more questions. You, you, what do you see as some of the biggest differences between the 60s and now? You know something? I still, I'm, I've always been a strong believer that uh, as far as, you know, recordings are concerned, the song is always, you know, the, the basic strength mm-hmm. of every record. And if you don't have a good song, you don't have crap, you know. And I don't care how well it's produced or, you know. I think Adele is writing some great stuff. Of course, I like her anyway. It's, it's really funny. The first time I heard her, I thought, okay, this is the girl that everybody's raving about. I don't know. You know, I, I thought, mm, she's, she's okay. Yeah. But that was in right in the very beginning. And then after about the third song that I heard of hers, I thought, wow, this girl's got something, you know. 
And I like her a lot. And, of course, you know, how can you not like Lady Gaga? I mean, oh, yeah, of course. The uh, Tony Bennett album with her. Sure. Yeah. And I like John Legend. I like a lot of the things that are happening today. And I like country music a lot. I write country music. You know, people, you know, especially the people in the doo-wop, you know, era. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of doo-wop. And it always it makes me, I, it's kind of sad that nowadays, Anything that's an oldie, a lot of people refer to as doo-wop. And, right. of course, it's not, it's not the same at all, you know. But I'm not, I'm not a big doo-wop fan. I, I did liner notes for, one of the, the, for a British doo-wop group, uh, and I've, I've been in touch with different doo-wop groups in Spain and France and a few other places. And I admire what they do. It all sounds the same to me. I mean, they all got the high falsetto guy, and they have, some of them have a, a, a guy who does the deep bass stuff, and and uh, and some of them are very good at what they do, but they're just copying something that someone else did, you sure. know, back you know fifty years ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but what you know what the, and like I said, it all sounds alike to me. I don't understand, you know, and even some of the promoters, you know, they'll put me together on a bill with uh, to do a show, and they they're booking me with uh, with doo-wop people. And I'm thinking, I'm not doo-wop, I'm pure pop. Anyway, it's... it's. Uh, well, it sounds like you're, you're somewhat in tune with certain parts of what's going on today. I, I like country, but I'm not in tune with any of the rapper, any of that stuff, and I have Oh, no, I don't think any, any of us of, the, of our age group are very into that. I, I never understood the rap thing. I, I don't... Uh, and it, it's the opposite of great songwriting. So w- now, last question. What are you doing nowadays? What are your plans for the future? Well, it sounds like you're working, and that sounds like probably that's your plans for the future, or have you got anything else you want to mention? Well, no, that's... Uh, okay. I've, I've, like I said, I may stop working here in the U.S. because I, I just uh, don't like the... Because uh, a lot of the... There isn't much activity on the West Coast when it comes to oldies, but there's a lot of activity on the East Coast, but I'm getting tired of going there. Yeah, uh, Cousin Brucey and that whole scene back there, yeah. You know, I interviewed, uh, I think the second interview I did was very interesting. A guy by the name of Don Zerilli, He his group is called Papa Do Run Run, and they are a Beach Boys uh, copy band, I guess, very interesting interview, and they are working. They are now in their 50th year. They've been working since 1967 straight through, which I marvel at because yeah, I, really. I've done a zillion other things beyond music in the oh, last to, 50 yeah. years. So, All right, good. Well, good conversation. It's almost time for cocktails, I think. Yes, I think so, too. <laughs> in my case, it's time for a cappuccino. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so, great. Thanks. Very much, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Dick. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. As Chris mentioned earlier in the show, you need to visit my website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com, and not only take a listen to the archive of all of our shows, but to check out all of the retro and vintage merchandise available there. Once again, that's americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. You can also email me with your suggestions on what guests you'd like me to have on the show, and I'd love hearing from you with any ideas that you've got. So until next week, keep your face in a smile. It makes everything worthwhile. Bye-bye. You've been listening to America's Oldies But Goodies with Dick Scapatoni. If you've got any questions or suggestions, send us an email. The address is dick at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. 
Join us again next week for more memories from the good old days. In the words of Jerry Garcia, what a long, strange trip it was. The Swingin' 60s. I'm John Berg. See you then. Bye.